listening to episode 20 of the Comics Pals podcast. We're a group of comic book friends and journalists. <laughs> comic book friends. Oh, man. Okay. Nope, that's it. We're rolling with it, baby. <laughs> the silliness the silliness began before we even started the show, and it's just, it's, it's not going to end. Uh, we're a group of co- a group of friends and comic book journalists who've decided to do a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. This episode is brought to you by Marco's Chewable Enemas. Chew oh, Enemas, sorry. like Marco. Okay. Yeah, I get it. It's a classic. I get it. We're bringing it back, I guess. Because oh, this is you've this done... is Earth Three, Phil. You've done oh, you've done better, but you've done worse. I didn't I know you did it on this Earth's version. That's a top. Oh, I just got it. Our topic of the show. Woo. <laughs> Decent. Oh fuck you. Decent. What flavor? Ugh. What flavor are they in Earth Three? Uh, They're cherry flavored. <laughs> they are made out of porcelain. Oh, okay. All right. They're All porcelain. Right. <laughs> porcelain enemas. <laughs> They've been liquidated. What's going well, on in Earth Three? No matter what Earth you're on, you can always find the Comics Pals all over the internet. In places like Twitter and Instagram, at the Comics Pals. You can hit us up on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast, for which I am so proud. We are all very proud, aren't we, boys? Yes. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You can can find us on YouTube, which you may be listening to us on right now. And if you are, you should hit that sweet subscribe button. You should like us, and you should leave a comment. Most importantly, though, you should share this with your friends. It really helps us out. So please do that. And uh, if you want to write to us, you can do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals at gmail.com. Hit us up. Leave us a random question. Tell us why Phil is your <laughs> least favorite of all the pals <laughs> on every earth. And, uh, yeah, just let us know your feelings. So with that stuff done, let's get into the show what are we reading this week, guys? What did we read? Uh, Pete. Um, I didn't read too much. I've just like I'm getting fucking overloaded with media in twenty seventeen, man. There's just so much stuff going on. Um, but I read a little bit more of Vision. I got another two issues down, so about halfway through the first volume. I'll probably finish that up this week. Um Went and saw Kong last night, which was a ton of Ooh, fun. How was it? Ton of fun. Uh really liked it. Oh, um it was surprisingly good, probably a lot better than it had any right to be. Um, the cast is really strong, um, even though they really are a bunch of, like, nothing characters. The cast is enjoyable enough that, um, it was a fun ride, and, uh, it fixes the mistakes that Godzilla made. So, like, you see Kong all the time, and he fights a ton of shit, and it's awesome. You know, like, it's just a big, dumb, fun kaiju movie. The last American Godzilla, or the Shin Godzilla that came out a couple months ago? Okay. Well, with Brian Cranston yeah, and Kick-Ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you Shin Godzilla, dude. That was the thing, like, um, fucking Tom Hiddleston. Shin Godzilla's dope. Tom Hiddleston was basically kind of the stand-in for Kick-Ass's character, I guess. Like, he wasn't really the main character, but he was the main human action star. And he was great as generic British action hero. And My brother yeah. said that John C. Riley was very good. John C. Riley stole the fucking show entirely. His character is the only actual character, and he's amazing. <laughs> So definitely go see that this week if you have any interest in monster movies. Um, and then other than that, like my time's been totally taken up by video games. I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn and Legend of Zelda every fucking free second I have. I love my oh, Nintendo man. Switch. 
I'm going to I'm going to play Zelda this afternoon with my old roommates, and I cannot wait. Oh, I can't wait. That's cool. Uh, I can't wait to <clears throat> eventually get a Switch. I'm just waiting because I I buy Nintendo consoles for Smash Brothers at this point, and uh, so once that becomes a thing, that's when I'll pick it up. I think. So for me this week, I you know ever since Logan, I've been kind of in the Wolverine mode. So. I'm reading Old Man Logan right now, and uh, I haven't read it in, in, like, a really long time. I think I've only read it once, and so I kind of forgot a lot of things about that book, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's not even close to being the same thing as Logan. No. I, I, I had my girlfriend read it, and uh, <clears throat> she was, she was actually kind of jarred, because she was like, wait, this is, what does this have to do with Logan? And I said nothing, and she was shocked. She just she she expected it to be a very similar experience, and it just wasn't at all. Um, I I love the way that Mark Millar tells this story because um, he he's never afraid to go left, and that's something that he's kind of always been about. Um, you know, it's just a very strange story. It's really out there, but at its core is you know Wolverine, and it feels very authentic for him. You know, like divorced from the the banner kids and, you know, all that craziness, you know, Wolverine still feels like Wolverine. And I think that's a big reason why the story works so well. Um, and I love Hawkeye in that book, too. He's really great. Yeah, their dynamic's fun. But but I like despite the fact that I really love Old Man Logan, I don't wish that Logan the movie was more like this story. I like. Yeah, I like what they did with the film. And I think. I think it's a better story, um, even though it's a different, you know, it's a different medium. But I think it's a better story, and I think the simplicity of it uh, kind of enhances what they were going for. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. that actually, and- uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that just reminded me of like one of the other things I was doing this week was um, I wrote an article for CBR about <clears throat> oh something we talked about last week. How I think X Men Evolution is the the best X Men cartoon. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but me and Marco talked about it off camera, and that was what gave me the idea. And um, <clears throat> I, I don't know, man. Uh, it, it just like, not only was I watching it this week and, and remembering why I liked it so much, but it definitely, I, I think there's a lot of benefit when you have characters with this much history and baggage to do something like Logan or like something that Evolutionary Ultimate tried to do, where you're like, you do something that's like, strip away all of the science fiction and the, you know, like, high craziness you know that you see in comics and really get to something that's a little more basic and human like can really be beneficial to these characters that do have that history and are so well defined like like well excuse me like wolverine or logan you know yeah definitely i i definitely think that the movie was was better served by not including you know a bunch of different mutants and not including you know all the you know, like not for example, a lot of people say that they should have showed how all the mutants died, and I don't think that that would have done the movie any. Favors. Did you hear what um James Mangold said about that? <clears throat> don't think I did. So yeah, he did. He did an interview about it, and uh, apparently, like they 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 shot a scene for that, and it was originally the beginning of the movie was was that event and all the mutants dying, and he said that the reason they didn't include it was um to basically to speaking to what you're saying, Sean, where it's like that colors the entire movie and makes it about the X-Men dying mm-hmm. and the aftermath of that. That makes and sense. When you, when you remove that, it's about Logan, you know, and it's, 
the point of entry is you know you, you have to you have to work for the the story and like that isn't really the narrative it's not what they're gone isn't the story you know the x-men dying isn't the story it's what happens way after they're gone and, and the people who are left suffering you know exactly uh so yeah that was that was me this week and after this i think i'll read enemy of the state which is another classic wolverine story so uh kale what do you, you mean week? enema of the state oh boo <laughs> that's a blink 82 joke guys yep <laughs> oh oh i don't it works I on two levels so i don't know i don't <laughs> like it that's enough <laughs> playtime's over children <laughs> playtime's over uh, time to hear what kale read that's right <laughs> sit down and listen to what i read because <laughs> i i read some thick ass shit this week wow so yeah, that's What's some thick that? ass wow. shit. Reminds me of my so, uh, so this is um uh timeshare from my pal uh artist Dan McDade. Um it's printed by uh, Oni Press, written by Patrick Keller. It's a uh, uh a book uh, uh, it's basically It's a book you say <laughs> <laughs> Stop the presses. It's basically Back to the Future meets Bill and Ted meets Terminator, meets Doctor Who. Um, it, it's, it is fun. Uh, I had some issues with it. It, it goes very, very fast. Um, so, you know, in, in Back to the Future, you know, sort of when Marty first, uh, when he's just about to go back in time, the Iranians come in and kill Doc Brown and then, you know, at the mall, and then he takes right. off. Starting this book is like starting Back to the Future right there, and then it becomes and then it becomes Terminator, and then it sort of becomes Doctor Who, and then it becomes Bill and Ted, and then it's every weird paradox you've ever wait. Uh, who heard. killed Doc Brown? The Iranians, dude. It was the fucking Libyans. He's right. <clears throat> okay, I uh. apologize. <laughs> Phil's some outraged. foreign, some Phil's foreign pissed. agents. <laughs> Look, they're not part of my travel ban, so <laughs> I don't understand what the problem is. Uh, it was good. Uh, as always, Dan McDade's art is uh, on top of it. He's uh, he's mastered that Kirby Crackle. Um, There's a shirt, Kirby Crackle. But I just, yeah, the the story itself is is really fast it's very action-packed and it's uh it's it it's really hard to follow sometimes so yeah i liked it but i also i could have i could have used more but also less at the same time um also i read uh the legion of superheroes i started the great darkness saga and i didn't get too far into it but i got just far enough that i read no less than 20 other cute pal nicknames from each and every single legion member uh someone calls someone uh leader man uh yeah and that's all i love the legion i've always uh i've always been a big fan can't wait to keep going i i think this is just around the time that it actually gets good um so yeah more on that 
when it happens. My question though, kills. When does the Nightmaster show? <laughs> I mean, it's it's the Legion, so I right, give it give it another issue or two. Hell yeah! Okay, that cool. Call back. <laughs> I want someone to draw us an image of the Nightmaster. No, no, like reference like, either. And no reference. Yeah, whether you've seen him or not. <laughs> yeah, no, just don't look him up. The, don't look up what yeah. the Nightmaster looks like. Just draw what you think the Nightmaster looks like. Please. Based off how we've referenced in the last two episodes. <laughs> or alternatively, can somebody who actually knows what the Nightmaster looks like draw a picture of all five of us cosplaying as the Nightmaster? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Or alternatively to that, even if you don't know what the Nightmaster is, Draw us all cosplaying as the Nightmaster, <laughs> but apparently we all look differently. Yes, five different Nightmasters. <laughs> I would love that. Um, Marco, what about you? Um, so this week was kind of light. Uh, I read uh, Neil Gaiman's Midnight Days, and that's just a collection of some of his short stories. So um, one of them, or two of them rather, were related to... Uh, Swamp Thing. One was like a an eight page story that him and Karen Berger managed to get back the entire creative team for the original like Swamp Thing run. So John Tattlebin, Stephen Bissett, Tat- Hannah Woods, and uh, I think Todd Klein or no John Costanza on um, lettering, and he wrote like a, a really cool story, intimate story. It was eight pages, um, and. In that book, it also had, I think, one of my favorite John Constantine stories because he writes John Constantine amazingly. Uh, it was horror-tinged, and it kind of got to... Because John Constantine, is a, he's a complicated character, and one of the biggest things is the way how, like, how sort of selfish he is and this it, it sort of it sort of shows him being a little more selfless, uh, and so it, it came out really very as very intimate. Um, and then I got to read a, a story that he co-wrote with Matt Wagner um, about the original Sandman. So the guy that would go around in a gas mask and like just knock people out with gas. Uh, <laughs> um and and yeah it was pretty it was pretty cool man i've always i've always wanted to write a superhero story like that about just like like a a, like a quote like a super have you any of you guys ever seen james gunn's movie super no you should it's fucking excellent and james gunn's a genius um but like just like the idea of like a superhero that's literally just a regular person in a costume, like running around smacking people with like one <laughs> object or something, you know? Like so, Batman, <laughs> her kick ass. Oh yeah, right. Um, and yeah, that's all I got to read. But uh, it was really, really cool story. It was very steeped in uh, in sort of English noir and uh, a mix of that because Neil Gaiman is. English and uh, some American noir because of Matt Wagner. So it was really, really cool. And it was drawn by, it was painted actually, the the entire like issue. Um, I'm forgetting by who. But it was really, really cool. Um, it was painted? Yeah, it was painted by Teddy Christensen. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, so really awesome book if you guys 
uh, you guys should definitely pick it there up. There was like a there was a Spider Man book that did that like post nine eleven, I think, or something like that. That was like excellent, and I can't remember the name of it. I really wish I could. Is right that the now. one where Doctor Doom cried because the World Trade Center fell? That's a different one. No, that was that, just like that's, uh, yeah. That was like that's the Marvel Rita Universe. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like specifically a Spider Man story. No, that's Todd Knock. I don't know if, if if anyone knows. Let us know in the comments below, or send us an email. I would I would love to be reminded of what that book is. I'll try and look also, it up. Also, it's a it's a fun exercise for me to deliberately get things wrong and Kale to get it right or make comments. <laughs> I was gonna say, what else you got, Phil? <laughs> Step up. Is that the one where Superman is actually Barack Obama? <laughs> nah, that's Grant Morrison. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> All right, so I saved I saved Phil for last deliberately because we hate him. <laughs> well, yes, but also because I feel like what he has to say may be controversial and will cause us to have a longer conversation. Uh-oh. So with that, why don't you go ahead, Phil? All right. So uh, last Saturday night, after we did the recording of the episode eighteen of the Pals, I saw Logan. And I saw Logan again yesterday, and I'm going to see Logan again today. You're going to see it a third wow. time? Yeah, because I'm taking people that uh, haven't seen it to go see it, is what's happening. Like okay. me? Um, <laughs> like Marco? Can I come? come? Alright, Marco, you know what? Come to Philly. We'll do that. Sweet. Um. So after watching it the first time, my first thought was like, you know, this is this is probably a top three favorite comic book movie for me. Like I think, and I know, like uh, after the review last week, you all five of, or all, all three of you said that uh, it was in your top five favorite superhero movies, or at least you thought so. After watching it yesterday, I like, like, really sat down. I was like, you know what? This is probably my favorite comic book movie. Um, and I've never had like a super deep connection to uh, Logan or the Wolverine character. Like I've always thought he was okay, but I got to the point where I thought he was super oversaturated when I was really reading Marvel because he was in the mid two thousands. And so, like, I really kind of soured on the character for a while. So it's not like I have a super deep, meaningful connection to the character, but uh, I thought the movie... I feel like the movie's kind of flawless. Um, uh, It has the right drama. It has excellent action scenes. um, And the emotional beats are... I mean, they hit hard. Like, I got real teary-eyed during both major sad scenes of the film. Um, I appreciate how simplistic it is. It doesn't get really schlocky for the most part. And some things that seem schlocky, like the X-24 character, which is very comic booky, it's like super metaphorical. Yeah, and like it works. Like it sets you up to think it's going to be like, ah, oh, come up. But then it's like, oh no, all right. Like this paid off in a way that was super satisfying. Like the whole thing, uh, Marco, take your headphones off for a second. Oh, I think you already did. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, so just real quick, if you haven't already seen the movie, mild spoilers for Logan ahead, like cover your ears for five seconds or whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to go into too much detail of spoilers, but I kind of want to just talk about things that I thought were really meaningful about it. Also, so, please check out our review episode for the rest of our thoughts because yeah. we're not going to comment. So basically, like the X24 character like represents uh, Logan, his feral, evil, uncontrolled side. And Laura represents like the light. Like, the way that he dies with the animanium bullet, which was originally, which is, like, symbolic in twofold. One, 
like Wolverine, that bullet is just a like it's it's all it's used for is to be able to kill. But Laura being the one to take out the X twenty four is the elimination of Logan's dark side. Uh like this evil feral side. And like when he's dying there, you know, he's like, Oh, I finally realized everything and like he last thing he says to Laura is, you know, don't be what they tell you to be, don't tell you what they made you to be. Um and it's basically about dominating your nature, which is interesting because earlier in the movie um the reaver is, says i don't think people truly change ever but it like shows how wolverine changed and it shows how laura doesn't have to be it's fucking awesome this movie yeah no it's so it's, it's a great fucking movie good. like it's it's just we, we talked about it in the review i think like the one thing that we that we said was like it's not just a great superhero movie like it's just a great it's a great film you know it's it's a really well made film yeah, and that's like the thing is like I I think this movie has the most cross accessibility outside of comic book fans and comic book movie fans since The Dark Knight. That I actually dis- I totally disagree with, and this is something we didn't really touch on too much in the review, so I will say it. I I think you I don't think you'll get the same impact with it if you don't have the history with the characters or like at least have seen the previous movies and stuff. Because I think like a lot of the why it works is predicated upon history with the character and specifically Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I, th- I think to an extent that's true in the sense that if you have followed the franchise for 17 years, you'll definitely have a deeper attachment because for my money, Hugh Jack- I'm like a movie guy and for my money, I think Hugh Jackman deserves the best Academy Award nomination for an actor, obviously. Uh, I thought his performance was fucking stellar. Um, and like you've seen him in movies like Les Miserables where it's, where it's like, no, this guy's got the chops, but uh, no, I've been taking people that have like maybe seen one or two X Men movies to see it, and they're walking away floored. Good, cool. I'm and they're saying like, this is they're like, this is the best comic book movie I've seen since The Dark Knight. Which this is why that that's why I'm left with this perception of like, you know, if this movie's got accessibility for normies because, like you said, it's an it's a great movie. Like I think the themes are real obvious because. You know, I think certain characters in comics aren't complicated, and I think the Wolverine is one of them. He's the outlaw, he's the loner, uh, and this movie kind of touches on those Western aspects. Uh, I don't think it's very difficult to get for uh, like a, a, a non-dedicated comic book reader or film uh, watcher. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I guess it's just, I think there's specifics. I feel like if you if you're not... I don't think you have to be a comic book reader, but I think if you're not at least casually familiar with the X-Men, that you'll walk away a little confused by some of the things because it it definitely doesn't hold your hand at all, which is, I think, a really good thing. But yeah, you you do. Yeah, you do have to be at least familiar with some uh, bits of like the mutant struggle and. Like, for example, like, the whole, like, that. the Westchester incident. Like, if you don't know that the mutants are from Westchester, does that mean anything to you? No. And, like, fucking Sean knows all that shit, and he still missed the clues that were there the first time. He walked away not knowing if that was what happened. Sean, Sean you big dummy. Do you know what was amazing? I don't know if you guys picked up on this. So, early in the movie... Uh, Xavier talks about the Statue of Liberty, and Logan's like, "Ah, oh, Charles, that was that was a long time ago." But when Logan goes to the hotel with Laura and the nurse, it was the Liberty Hotel, and there was a picture of the Statue of Liberty because Xavier was operating in his like weird brain deteriorating way, where he's talking about the hotel and not just X Men One. Huh. Okay. 
I saw it the first time. I'm like, oh, he's talking about X Men One. When I watched it the second time, I was like, holy shit! Because we talked about that in the review. I didn't pick up on that the first time. The Statue of Liberty comment doesn't that come far earlier in the film than the hotel scene? Yeah, because it's Xavier, dude. Oh, I think. Well, I don't know. I think the motel. Xavier can't see. He can't see the future. No, no, but the, no, Laura and the nurse are at the motel. Oh, oh, the motel. I got Yeah, they're already you. there. Oh, oh, you thought the hotel that oh, Logan and Xavier in the Yeah, yeah, oh, no, yeah. No, no. The casino, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes a lot oh, more sense. Yeah, yeah, no, not not the hotel later with, like, the Western and everything. The first one. Wow, okay. Man, Phil. Where where, where he picks yeah, up. And yeah, where, where and, he and, finds and of course, of course Logan's, like. To a certain to a certain degree. Well, of course, Logan's, like, yeah, that was, like, 30 years ago, Charles. <laughs> But no, uh, Charles, who's his brain is uh, kind of betraying him a little bit. He's operating on a different level. Huh. Very interesting. Uh, one one fun fact that a very astute fan picked up on is that the the ending to this film, Logan, was actually revealed essentially in the Wolverine. Uh, and I will, I, I, we won't exactly talk about the ending. Um, because we already kind of did that, but um, the character Yukio, who Wolverine's hanging out Yu-Gi-Oh? with in the Wolverine film, you- <laughs> <laughs> it's time. You've activated my trap card, Sean. Oh man! Wow. All right. So the character Yukio with a K. Uh, she essentially tells Wolverine how he's going to die, and he dies the same way she predicts, basically. Um, and the the person who figured this whole deal out... I mean, hold on. We're knee-deep in spoilers. Like, go ahead and... Yeah, like, let's fucking go. It's impressive how it's... Yeah, like... That, that whole right. thing is impressive in, in its... Like, I think it's important to say it. All right. Okay. That's fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're having a car- a conversation, and uh, her her exact words are, "Logan, I saw you die. It's not like I get a complete picture. More like looking through a keyhole. But I'm always right. All I can see is one part of a person's life: their death. And I saw yours. I see you on your back. There's blood everywhere. You're holding your own heart in your hand. And so." He's not like literally holding his heart, but at the very end of the movie, he's holding the hand of X twenty three, who is his daughter, who you know is his heart. He's his clone. Um, one thing. Uh, one thing I noticed. Uh, it's not. It's not just that he's holding her hand. He's holding her wrist where her pulse would. Right. Be. Very very uh, astute. And so the the individual who figured this whole deal out tweeted at James Mangold and said you had to set up the whole time with many question marks and then linked a picture of I guess the conversation between Wolverine and Yukio and then the image of Wolverine holding her hand and James Mangold tweeted him back and said well done Maurice <laughs> so I, just, I thought that was I thought that was a really cool oh, moment oh man um, I just love James and- Mangold like I love that he, I love his response was just well done Maurice like <laughs> <laughs> so like Warner Brothers, take fucking note when you make this Batman movie. In a sense that, like, Batman's also an easy character to get down. You can make a simplistic story like Logan, 
with Batman, and it'd probably be the best Batman movie, or not the second best Batman movie, because he's one of those characters that you can get down to a few simple beats and make an amazing story for. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan proved that. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing with fucking Superman and Spider-Man. Like, those are two other characters, real simple to get. Just for some reason, right. people struggle. We also have been exposed to them for so long that everyone has an understanding, at least generally, of who they are. And if you play to that general understanding, it frees you up because there's a lot of stuff you can avoid having to do. Sean, that's the film. problem, though, is that they're like, oh, people get this. We need to shake it up and do something different. Yeah, that's so <laughs> well, stupid, no, what, though. Like, I know, I agree. Saying, I'm saying that's what, problematic. Yeah. I just mean, like, do we really need Batman's origin in every movie? No, of course not. You know? Absolutely not. And we keep getting it, and it's just it's just a waste of time. Like, Batman Superman did not need that scene. Like, cool or not, it just didn't need to be there. Also, like, like Logan. Uh, I'm I'm really emboldened by the idea of getting a Spider-Man movie that doesn't have his origin again, where it's just like, guys, like, the first Spider-Man movie wasn't that long ago. You know? Like, I we know. We know. Well, <laughs> like, like, um, Batman Begins and X-Men Origins Wolverine have origin stories for the character, but a lot of people, like normies and casual viewers, a lot of people didn't see those movies. Dark Knight and Logan, a lot of people are seeing those movies without the reference of those other two movies, but they don't need it because we don't need origin stories. Like, you can tell a succinct hour and a half to two and a half hour movie without an origin story if you have good characters. Well, you know what? The, the thing is, is, like, we need an origin story. It's just it doesn't need to be a movie. You know, it's like I I I, uh, I showed you guys a video from one of my favorite YouTubers, this guy named Captain Christian, and he like makes the point in his video about Superman, where it's that like the original Superman comic, it's a page, you know, or it's a it's even a fucking panel in what, one of Grant Morrison's interpretations. I think All Star Superman is it? Yeah, it's a yeah, page. It's a, uh, well, it's also it's, a page. It's, it's, it's so yeah, it's four panels. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like you don't. It's like we yeah, like we need the context of okay, yeah, this is. Weapon X, whatever, sure. But it's like we we don't we already got that. Six movies ago, we're fine. We get it. We or it's like, and if you don't, you can piece it together and ask someone who does. Or honestly, like you could just do it for an opening credit thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like we don't need that fucking much. Like, just do the. I think it was the second Hulk movie did that right. Whereas, like, they yeah. just showed you know the transformation in the opening credits, and then we opened a banner, and he's in Mexico, and it's like, great, okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, or or also like in in um, Batman Superman has referenced many times that Batman lost his parents, right? Yeah, like that's enough. Thing. <laughs> you don't like all right. If like Batman lost his parents, I'm pretty sure that even newborns like know that Batman's parents died. So like we don't really need to hear that over and over again, or rather to see it over and over again. We get the point, you know. I, I think like I think there does like come a certain degree of just like you know like like with logan right like if you go to logan and there's things that you miss or you don't know like you can still appreciate the movie and then you'll have that conversation after the movie where you're like well, what does this mean and, and then like the friends in the know will figure it out or if you really care you'll go look it up or whatever you know and it's like i feel like letting people like do a little bit of that storytelling on their own is like you know it's something we need a little bit more of in these movies you know especially with more familiar characters and I feel like it's also, like, that's why we can't watch these characters grow. Like, we can't see Robin because we're so stuck on Batman's origin. Yeah, dude. We can't see, you know. Yeah, that's true. 
It really limits the stories you can tell if you're just constantly resetting and trying to do the origin over again. And it's like, there are some characters that obviously need an origin story. You know, like like Captain America 1. Like, I don't think anybody would debate that, that was, it was a good idea to make that a war, World War II movie. Like, I think that that's fine. You know, like, people aren't super familiar with Captain America. And there are stories to tell there beyond his origin. We got his origin and then him as a war hero. You know, and it's like, okay, cool. That makes sense. Like, Doctor Strange's origin story. The origin part of it stops 20 minutes into the movie and then we get a movie. So let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, Pete, I think that, that that means it's time for something. I don't know what it is. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I guess that means it's time for the random question of the week. Whoa! <laughs> so, Pete, why don't you uh, ask us the question? I don't, it was not my, I don't have one. <laughs> oh, you, 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 no. <laughs> you, you, you did, you did, but I will ask it. I did? Uh, oh my god, no, you're right, I did come up with one, you're right, okay, I'm sorry. That's hilarious. I totally did, that's so funny. I forgot, because I thought we were going with Kales, but Kales is our main topic, so. Yeah, uh, so the main topic we're going to get into later in the show is what our favorite alternate timelines are. So I had the thought of let's open up the floor to discuss our favorite alternate timeline characters. So characters that only exist in alternate timelines um, or alternate timeline versions of characters that have become characters in their own right. Uh, that's a good one. Um, uh, yeah, does anybody like want to kick it off or they, is anybody like ready to go with a couple? Uh, uh, I'd have to think about it for a second. Okay, that's cool because I mean my the first one that came to mind for me was, was May Parker. Um, uh, the original Spider Girl, who is uh, was part of the uh, what was it? MVC two was the name of the line. Uh, it was like um, a brief. No, are you saying that's not what it was? I'm saying I'm oh, saying okay. I'm not I'm pretty sure, sure you're. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Um, it was like a it was like a precursor to the Ultimate Comics, and it was kind of like a all the main Marvel canon happened like 15 years ago, so like in the 70s and 80s, as opposed to like the you know 50s or 60s or whatever. Um, and, like, a lot of those characters had kind of, like, aged out of being superheroes or whatever, and, like, there was, like, a new younger generation that had taken over, younger characters were aged up and stuff like that, and, um, May was the daughter of, um, of Peter and Mary Jane, and it was kind of, like, the linchpin of the converging timeline between it and 616, uh, was, like, her successful early birth or whatever. Um, and like Peter gets injured and can't be Spider-Man anymore. She takes up the mantle. Just a lot of fun books from that, that storyline. And, you know, I, I like the Peter Mary Jane pairing. So having like a, a story where things work out for them and, you know, like it felt like a, a good natural kind of transition for Peter away from Spider-Man to helping his daughter take up the mantle was fun stories. So before, before the rest of us answer, I have a question for you, Pete, since this is yours. Um, are we counting the ultimate universe as an alternate timeline? Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I think I, I think I have one. Um, sure. Shoot. Uh, oh, Swamp. No, thing. it's uh, it's it's Archie. <laughs> uh, in Afterlife with Archie, because oh, he's such a, a distinct one. character yeah, from one. what he's normally portrayed as. You know, he's kind of like aloof and goofy. Um, but in this one, he's so much more serious, mature, and. It, and it's not just because of the situation he's put in. He's just portrayed in that way. Uh, and that really helps the the story move along because he's sort of the action guy. 
So I really liked uh, the way he's portrayed in that in that series. That's fun. Fun choice. I'm thinking uh, I have a couple here. Uh, Spider-Man 2099 is one of them. Yeah. Miguel O'Hara. I'm a big fan of Miguel O'Hara, yeah. Um, another one that came to mind was Red Sun Superman. Um, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I knew you. I, I know you so well, Phil. He had me down peg, baby. Um, That's my job, Phil. <laughs> peg me down? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? Yikes. Fair enough. Airing yeah, dirty laundry on the show, whatever. Dirty, sexy laundry. <laughs> Underscore on the word dirty. Um, let's see. Other favorite characters. Um, not you, Kale. You got any? Uh, uh any for you? Any anything you would like? No. <laughs> yeah, Kale. Who am I thinking? Of? <laughs> uh, for me, I uh, I was thinking. My first answer was uh, Spider Gwen. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I just like there's never been another character that I was like initially just obsessed with conceptually. Sexually. Um <laughs> conceptually. A little. Yeah, a little. Um Yeah, love her costume, love the concept. Um but yeah, love Spider Gwen. Um another one that just off the top of the of the old dome, um I would say the uh the Barry Allen from the Dark Knight strikes again oh cool mm. uh um as well as i might even add plastic man from that um universe dark knight strikes again is an underrated story i don't care what anyone says i'm right there with you yeah i agree adam <laughs> for me i i have three and i think one of them is pretty controversial uh so owl man from, oh, cool! Earth um, two, yeah, Earth two. I really Let's like go. him. Yeah, um, very very cool character. Uh, Miles Morales. I think Miles Morales is fantastic. I love what he brings to the table. Uh, and then the last one is the current Captain America. Oh, oh! I was like, yeah. I was like Sam Wilson. What? And it's like, oh no, <laughs> not. I love Cap. how much. I love how much Kalen Sean. Uh, have these fundamental disagreements, whether it's Jean Grey or Spencer's Captain America. It's pretty good. I'm with Kale on this one, man. No, like, not cool. <laughs> he's he's good. He's like a he's a good character. But uh, like, he's I, I don't know. Don't like, make it right. That yeah, don't make it like, right. You're like you're probably not wrong, but like I'm so morally opposed because like I like I know some of the things he's done as Nazi Cap. And it's like it really like it just makes me sad, and, I, and like I know that's good writing, but like it makes it's it feels wrong, man. It's not to cool. me. It feels like Spencer's doing a good job if he's getting that reaction out of you. Exactly, I know, Phil. You're right, you know, but like Phil, you know why you think he that killed way? Jack Black, <laughs> man? He threw him out of a plane, and he fucking died, and his family took him off life support. Damn, Nick Spencer's doing a good job, Sean. <laughs> yeah, dude. And it's it's that wrestling philosophy, right? Like when you get heat, that you're doing a good job. Yeah. And so I think I think Nick Spencer's doing an excellent job making this character someone who we can hate, despite having the relationship with Captain America. Of like, I can never even think a bad thought about this guy. So it, I just think it's been a fantastic run. Uh, it's it's a lot deeper than a lot of people think it is. 
Uh, the character's more conflicted than you might think he is, but he still ultimately is not a good person. Sean. And I, you know, I really like that. What's up, Phil? <laughs> I just had a thought. So, like Hulk Hogan, he joined the New World Order, or in this case, Hydra, and... Later on, his redemption comes in the form of Mr. America or the return of Captain America. <laughs> also, much like Hulk Hogan, he can't be racist because he has one black friend, right? <laughs> That's Boom. true. Listen, brother, <laughs> I haven't said the N-word Boom. in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I just can't, I can't get behind it. Um, it's not for me. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad it's there for you. You can have it. <laughs> I think that I think that that is a very fair perspective, Kale. I might I have to check this book way. out, frankly. You really should. I felt the same way about Superior Spider-Man. I I could not. Yeah, I couldn't do it. And I see. Yeah, I I liked Superior Spider-Man. I mm, hold on. I like the ending of Superior Spider-Man. Pizza's rolling his eyes in discomfort I like and the, frustration. I like the I like the uh, <laughs> the follow through that slot had. Yeah. Well, I mean, I skipped because like. Because, like, I, I saw his plan early on, and when he followed through on the exact thing I predicted, I was like, okay, you got me. Like, well done. Would you would you recommend it to someone who is a fan of Spider-Man, but doesn't like the idea of Doc Ock becoming the hero? Well, no, because that's the whole point of the story. <laughs> I, like, I would, what I would do, I, I wouldn't recommend the whole thing, but I would, like, you know, so there are six volumes, I think, of Superior. I would do maybe one, two, uh, and six, maybe. Like, there's there's a solid, like, 18 to 20 issues there that you don't need because it's just, you know, it's Dan Slott trying to, you know, throw everybody off with the, the Peter Parker's never coming back thing. You know, so so the initial thing, get the, you know, plant the seeds, and then hit that end point with the the rise of the goblin stuff and then the turn back and call it like okay all right i might i might do it I, the only reason why i'm considering it now is because i love what dan slot did with the clone saga and how he uh kind of wrapped up the doc ock superior storyline uh so now I, now that it's over i'm kind of like ah maybe i'll go back and check it out so so uh let's let's jump into some news this week, a lot, a lot of hate for Iron Fist. Oh my god, uh, yeah. So, like the first the- six episodes... <laughs> yeah, the first six episodes became available for viewing for, you know, reviewers of various different websites and uh, publications. We gotta get in on that. they were not... <laughs> right? How do we get they early, were not kind. How do we get early advanced copies of stuff to shit on? <laughs> <laughs> They they were not kind to the show. Uh, a lot of problems with the show. Now, just to just to kind of open the floor for this conversation, for me personally, it's fine if the show sucks. It's fine to say that the show is poor, that it doesn't live up to Daredevil, Jessica Jones, or Luke Cage, which is unfortunate because I was looking forward to this one easily as much as I did Daredevil, if not more so. Uh, so it's it's sad that it did that it doesn't work as a show, and there sounds like there's a lot of legitimate problems with the show. What I take issue with, and obviously I'm interested in what you guys have to say. What I take issue with is the idea that the show doesn't work because Iron Fist should have been made into an Asian character. Uh, that people are celebrating 
the failure of the show or would never even give it a chance because the character, the, the individual who is Iron Fist is a white person and not an Asian person. I don't understand that at all. Uh, and I'll, I'll I'll give my more of my thoughts later, but I want to open the floor to hear what you guys. Um, just for context, real quick, I wanted to point out that uh, Iron Fist is currently sitting at fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa! So Whoa. that's that's like that's like a seventy point deficit between the next lowest Marvel studio. How many positive. reviews are on there so far? Uh, I just closed it out. Hold on. Um, I I think it's like it's like it's double digits. So. Oh, Could you also look up who is doing it, the director, the writer? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, my my thoughts and feelings on that, and we talked about this, geez, what was this, episode one? Okay, wait, sorry, real quick. We have we have 14, 14 pre-reviews, uh, 12 are rotten, 2 are fresh. Whew. And the, the creator and showrunner is Scott Buck, who also worked on Dexter. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, so my thoughts, like, I think the the argument for the, you know, changing the ethnicity of the character is better served for Doctor Strange. Uh, you know, that, that argument, I think, holds up because he's specifically going into uh, or going back toward, uh, you know, oriental, uh, quote-unquote oriental mysticism. Uh, the story of Iron Fist is about, you know, a white man being put into, like, like being adopted into, uh, you know, this kung fu culture or whatever. Yeah, it's like about yeah, assimilation. Guess, uh, you know, like it's it's about like an yeah. outsider joining another culture. No, not not assimilation. What's the the other word? Appropriation. Appropriation. Thank you. It's a yeah, specifically, it's a story about appropriation, and if it's done well, like. You know, you it should be about honoring that culture, and the problem that that seems to be coming from Iron Fist, based on all the reviews, is that it's it's not that it's you know one one thing I saw. I think I showed it to you guys was uh, the the Iron Fist character is basically a, a college sophomore who took a yoga class, and <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> now he thinks he's hot shit. Well. I, I had two thoughts. One, I think it's super strange that like a big vocal uh, group of people are complaining about the ethnicity of the character. And it's just like, to me, it's strange that we want an Asian stereotype character. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's a person of Asian descent playing a martial artist. Like, super. That's super. I, that, to me, that's kind of racist. Yeah, I I agree with that sentiment. And also, it's just like like people are throwing around the term whitewashing a lot, and it's like it's not whitewashing the character. How do you white. whitewash a character that's white? Yeah, yeah. It's like that's that's just stupid. Like it's uh, frankly an ignorant thing to say to say the claim that it's whitewashing. Like Doctor Strange had a, had an element of whitewashing, but there was like a politically motivated reason there, and that's a different conversation. Like this is a white character in a story that like is by its very nature like a little uncomfortable you know like well yeah and dr strange had whitewashing early 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 on you know around the time of his creation arguably uh yeah danny danny Rand was created as a white man yeah right 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 and it's like that's like you the point you made is like that's the whole character's narrative is him being a white man learning to uh, you know, adopt this kung fu culture, you know, and like 
that's like it doesn't mean anything if he's like if he's Asian American. Not only is that a stereotype, it's like it's not the same story anymore. Do you do you think then that it's because uh, the reviewers don't necessarily know the background of the character, and that's why they might be giving um, some of them like poor reviews? Maybe, but yeah, you know, like that's not like a defense. You know, like that's what I was going to say is if that's a, if that's the source of criticism. Uh, I know someone commented on this on my social media, but if the source of the criticism is about like the character's race or anything, I don't think that's a valid criticism for the quality of the show. Now, if it right, feels yeah. like the show does a poor job of explaining the character, that's on the show itself. Yeah, that's that true. said. Uh, everything we're saying, I believe we go into greater depth about in episode three, especially Pete and Kale. They really pour in on the Doctor Strange versus Iron Fist and how to do an adaptation of that and how they feel about the race topic. Yeah. Yeah. Go go check out that conversation if you're interested in hearing more of our thoughts. I think that's a, a good call out there. Um, but what I was going to say, my last point um, is Kale said that he acts like a sophomore yoga guy <laughs> in the first six episodes. Maybe in the next six episodes, that character has an arc and develops. And that, yeah, that's possible. Cr- that, that critique might be premature is what I'm saying. Like, maybe it's okay for him to be like that. Yeah, I mean, Daredevil had a slow burn. So it's like, that's not impossible. If it's, like, it's like probably 12, 13 episodes, so. But again, that, that, that doesn't, that's like, that is a failing of the show, if that's the case. Like, I, one of the things that I said, I had a conversation about this on social media with a couple uh, people. And uh, I think for me, the the controversy around it, I think just makes Iron Fist an easy target. You know, I think like these conversations have been going around, like again, episode three, we were talking about this. So obviously this has been going on for a while, like this conversation around Iron Fist. And I think if the show is actually lower quality than it's, uh, you know, contemporaries, or if there are really truly like, quality issues in terms of like pacing or writing or any of those things that it's going to get twice as much hate as it would have otherwise same yeah same as the wonder woman movie like right yeah if it's if it's bad it's gonna be because she's a woman and because she's a woman of color and because yeah and it's because it's a female-led movie and you know whatever so it's like i think it's low-hanging fruit and i think these people that have been that have fucking axe to grind with hollywood about their thoughts about uh, whitewashing or um, the issue of representation in Hollywood, which are legitimate issues, um, that this becomes an easy target for them. And, what you know, Marvel is also this unstoppable juggernaut. And then now they'll have this blemish on their record and they, that they can point to and be like, look, you should have made him Asian. Or look, you should have had Asian creators, you know, ma- tell the story at least, you know. And even if that isn't the really like, if it's not that bad, it is very easy for them to use that to further their narrative. So why wouldn't they? So that's also a possibility of what we're seeing here. I'm just trying to reserve judgment until I actually watch it. But I I will say my expectations are certainly lowered because I have doubts that every single person who's given an advanced review is coming at it with politics and that it's, it's, it's really good. And they're just all being butthurt about it. You know, like that also seems totally unrealistic. So I'm sure that the reality is somewhere in the middle. The Hollywood reporter uh, they they had a really good review that was very much fair. It's by Daniel Feinberg. It doesn't really address the issues that we've talked about here. 
it it really just is a review of the show itself, keeping all of the political elements outside of the show, outside of the show. Did he just call it boring, and, right? He just said it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, he said it's not interesting. He said that it lacks a lot of subtext because the other shows have their you know, they have stories underneath the the you know, what you see on the screen that enhance the material and that this just doesn't really have anything like that it doesn't have a you know an adversary there's not like a main villain it's just kind of like the hand you know and granted that's the six episodes right like someone could easily emerge but just for now you know in luke cage you see that the main villain from the first episode right yeah Uh, i believe it's really well established in those first few episodes daredevil jessica jones same thing yeah six episodes and there's no main villain that's crazy yeah Though I will say, to be fair, Daredevil did have a way slower pace than Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. Like, Daredevil takes, like, four episodes to get really get going as well, so. Ah, I love those first three episodes. I think, well, I think Pete's point is fair. (laughs) I think Pete's point is fair, (laughs) but, like, the, 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 the thing with this show is that even then, Daredevil still had core, core tenets of this kind of television established. Yeah, there's, like, themes going on, at least. Right. (laughs) This show doesn't have that, and so I guess that's the bigger issue here. Um, one last point before we move on, though, is that – and, and this is a big problem that I have with the way that these these sorts of, of uh, shows and movies, the comic book shows and movies, are being treated is that – and even in comics, quite frankly, the people who complain the most don't consume the media. So – People who complain about Iron Fist don't even know that this character exists in the comics as a white person already. They want Marvel to change something. Well, to be fair, maybe they don't care, but they want Marvel to change something that is – that's the character. If you you make him Asian, it's not not Iron Fist. It's a whole other story. And that's not the point. The point is to introduce Iron Fist, Danny Rand. That's the point. People who complain about uh, Captain America, the new Captain America, didn't even touch the book. Don't even know what it's about. And I'm not targeting you, Kale. I'm just saying, <laughs> general, I did it better too. watch it. No, no, no. I'm targeting people who were burning the book and didn't even open it and read it and see whether or not it was good. This is a constant problem, right? Like, uh, we're going to talk about this next, but uh, Domino was cast for Deadpool 2, and the actress that's playing Domino is black. And people are upset about that. When in the comics, Domino is pale. She doesn't. She's not a white person. She's completely pale. She doesn't have a like. She's not a. She's not a like. She's not white. She's not Caucasian. In that sense. She just has white exactly. skin. Exactly. Uh, and and so people are railing against that. And it's just like you know, read the books before you come up with these criticisms. That's what bothers me. If you if you have a problem with them not having enough Asian characters, that's a different conversation than specifically wanting them to take a character who is not Asian, who is not built to be Asian, and change him just for the sake of Asian representation or any kind of representation. Representation is great, but not at the not for, not at the cost of the story. And I think the Iron Fist story is great. It's a super peculiar to care a lot about race, and then like it's like, oh, this guy knows knows martial arts. Oh, he should have been cast as an Asian person. Like I don't know. Yeah. Something about that to me. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah, I like I really I don't think making Iron Fist Asian would be like a major win for representation or anything, you know? Yeah. Like It's like, oh cool, we're letting we're letting the Asian superhero be a karate master. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, it's like uh 
quite frankly, I, I feel similarly about Doctor Strange. You know, if you're going to take a character and make him Asian, uh, the Hulk, that that's fine. Yeah, right? that's kind of where I'm you at. Know, you know, like I wouldn't agree with it. I don't think like, I wouldn't like that. But if you were going to do that, it would make perfect sense to do that with someone like the Hulk, who is just a guy. You know, he's not going into a world that's steeped in Asian culture. Because if you do that, then Marvel gets screwed on the other end, where people are saying, oh, of course he's Asian. He's into magic. Wow. And mysticism. Or he's into kung fu. You know, they can't win. And so, instead of making that argument, look at the successful um, instances where Marvel has done the right thing, like with Totally Awesome Hulk. That's Amadeus Cho, an Asian character who's a genius, and now also the Hulk. I think that's really great but no one talks about that. Everybody wants to complain about Iron Fist. I mean, Sean, I think you put it perfectly. Um, also, uh, I just wanted to point out, like, the Asian representation in the Netflix series so far hasn't been very great. Um, not not to say that Iron Fist would fix it, but, like, you know, they've so far been drug lords and slaves and or karate masters ninjas yeah. <laughs> yeah ninjas and karate masters <laughs> yeah so has has, has yeah. asian representation been good in the marvel movies even no i mean no. there's literally uh, yeah that's a great one point. of the main characters in shield is asian i think yes, yes. one of the uh, main two characters of yeah two, the two of the lead characters are are asian women yeah yeah that's oh, what uh, i mean so? like one of the two leads is an asian woman so yeah, yeah. Sky, right? But yeah. I forgot that show. Sky existed. and uh uh Ming Na Wen. Ming Na Wen, yeah. 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 But so it's like, yeah, but even so it's like they're the main characters in the least important property, you know? Yeah, and there's been I to um, to my recollection and, and Sean you might correct me here, but there's only been one Asian character in the actual like Avengers films. Uh being like a scientist in Age of, Age of Ultron, and then Captain America's had one Asian guy in the first Avenger. Huh. And and Thor, one of the uh, Warriors Three, is Asian. That's right. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, right. So and Mandarin that's was whitewashed. The, yeah. So that that's that's the that's the bulk of their their Asian representation, and it's unfortunate. I mean, we've got Colleen Win Colleen Wing now from Iron Fist, which is great. I I'm a fan of that character, so I'm excited to see what they do with her on the show. Although I've heard at least in the first six episodes, she's kind of like marginalized and treated shitty by uh, Danny Rand. But great, you know what? What the white guy? killing it marvel well that's well that's what i'm saying is like he comes up like such a shit right maybe that's part of like maybe that's part of his long burn story arc like it could be good yeah we really don't know let's move on to deadpool uh so zazie beats from atlanta has been cast as domino yo what Uh, a cool name I know, right? That's a that, cool ass name. There were a number of uh, women up for the role: uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Lizzie Chaplin, Sienna Miller, uh, just just a, a number of names. I actually heard Kerry Washington's name hmm. uh, thrown around. Literally, so, literally an hour before I saw Zazie Beetz uh, officially confirmed, I saw that Janelle Mon- Janelle Monet was officially confirmed. Yes, yes, she was also uh, very close to getting the role. So. You know, this is this is for me. This is really exciting, and she's going to be in in X Force. She's going to be in Deadpool two. I'm excited for this character, but I will say, she's a C list character in the X Men universe. And for me, 
again, she's pale. She's not Caucasian, as Pete said. So they could easily still do that. They could easily uh, have Zazie Beats go through some sort of makeup situation, which they would have to do with any actress they cast for the role. Or they could not do that. It doesn't matter, quite frankly. That'd because Domino's be, a character. Sorry? That'd probably be super controversial if they white-faced her. <laughs> And, but it's but, I mean, it's but, not white. Like, that's so stupid. Like, I know, exactly. I agree, but I'm thinking they would be. I think that would be very yeah, controversial. No, I, I, yeah, I get that, but it's just like that's oh, like come on, right? Like that's one of those things where it's just like if like, if you're gonna get an outrage about that, you don't read comic books. Shut up, you know, like get over it. Quite frankly, yes. Um, but if if they don't do that, and I, I would be against them not doing it because I think that like I want to see the characters as they are. In the that's comics, her look. Ultimately. Yeah, but. If they don't, Domino's not a character who has such a like long and storied history that they can't put their own spin on her in a way that makes her interesting. If it's going to please people who do want more diversity in these films. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world to do. Um, but there's a lot of criticism about this casting. Like a ton of criticism. Uh, people are upset because they think that Domino has to be a white woman. I don't like, I don't know. I, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but I, that particular argument like really just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in representation for representation's sake, but in the same breath, I also don't think a character's race matters that often with like, there are a lot of characters where it's very important, but there are a ton where it like, like if Peter Parker was black, that wouldn't bother me at all, as long as he was still Peter Parker, you know? As long as he still felt like Peter Parker, I don't think, like, whiteness is in any way centric to Peter's character, you know? So it's like, to With me... someone like Luke Cage or Black Panther. Right, like, Luke Cage is a black character, and, like, it's about black identity in America, and, like, that's, that's different, you know? But, like, Peter, it doesn't matter, as far as I'm concerned, like them making Mary Jane or casting Zendaya as Mary Jane, it's like who cares? Like, it's like we're talking about a, sto- a story about modern day queens, like, and everyone's white. That doesn't make sense. So, like, yeah, make a couple of the characters minorities. Why not? Like, it's weird because I think I think having a conversation about expanding Hollywood representation of, of different races is important, but I feel like when these conversations come up, it makes more people racist. Yeah. I, I, we like the focus on it, I think, ends up getting in the way of the actual goal of making things like more even. But, like, what do you do, right? You don't, if you don't talk about it, then nothing ever changes. Oh, I know. So, I know, yeah. You've got to have those uncomfortable conversations and call people out for being bigots, you know? Like, I'm sorry, if you get really bent out of shape about them changing the race of a character, of a fictional character. Like, like maybe you have like a bit of a problem with race, you know? Like, let's uh, let's move on. So, so we talked about Wolverine, an R-rated movie, and I think last week when we were having our conversation about the film, we said, "Man, this is probably going to inspire a slew of terrible movies that will be R-rated for the sake of it." Ah. And DC is jumping right <laughs> on it. Uh, they have announced, or not announced, but. Um, it's it's come out that according to the rap that they're open to doing R-rated superhero movies. Um, no! and <laughs> how can we, the, how the can we un- make our movies worse? <laughs> the unnamed source said, and this is the quote: "One hundred percent yes with the right characters." Now, Lobo, 
Batman. I don't I don't have a problem with the idea of them doing R-rated movies about these characters in general. In general, I think it could in work. a vacuum. There are but <laughs> yes, there are characters who you could do this with. However, this is the same problem that we've talked about many times, where you gotta kind of pick what you're gonna be. Right? A, a, an R-rated Marvel movie at this point in the game would make no sense. It wouldn't feel right because they've established a tone that you can't have in an R-rated movie. DC hasn't really established a tone quite yet. I don't know exactly what the DC universe is. Which is bad does, a tone? Is right. bad a tone? Which, which do- <laughs> yeah, it's poor quality a tone. <laughs> Wait, oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I need to interrupt real quick though. So I come home from Kong last night, and my dad is sitting on the couch, right? And he's like, so while you're out, I watched, I watched Batman vs. Superman. That movie fucking sucked, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Dad, said, that movie like, fucking like, hang sucked. Hang on, hang on. I'm like 70 years old. That wasn't just me, right? That was a bad movie. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm not like out of touch. This movie was trash, right? Like, it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and then like Wonder Woman just shows up at the end. And I was like, yep, yeah, Dad, you're right. It's <laughs> exactly it. So, so it's, like, it's not like they haven't done R-rated stuff. They did the extended cut of Batman Superman, which was R-rated. They did Watchmen, which was R-rated. Constantine. And there are stories in the, D- the DC history that could make sense. Like, if they wanted to do, you know, like, The Killing Joke or The Authority or whatever, that would be fine. Or Lobo. Oh, my God. But, I, I would love a fucking solo Lobo movie. <laughs> that right? would be awesome. And, and if it were R-rated, that would make a ton of sense. But but does it make sense in the context of what the DC Universe has been trying to establish? Do we even know what they're trying to establish? Those are the questions that I really wish they would answer before they just make an R-rated movie because Logan was good so, you know, or because Deadpool was I good. I do want to say, though, I, I agree with your overall point. Um, I don't necessarily know if I agree with the idea that there couldn't be a good R-rated um, Marvel movie. I, 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 don't, I don't think that they should do that per se, but I, I feel like the Netflix stuff – feels a little more r-rated that's yeah that's the thing i feel like with netflix they sort of set aside this space where they can make uh, the more violent stuff the more r-rated stuff or the stuff that would be more r-rated in this space yeah plus like i I, I feel like deadpool would have fit perfectly in the marvel universe I didn't say that they couldn't make a good one. I'm just saying it wouldn't it wouldn't fit in totally with what they've been doing. I think they could make a great R-rated movie, actually. No, yeah, no. I, that's where I'm disagreeing with you. I don't necessarily agree that the tone has to be – because, like, you're right that, like, the movies they have established are, like, they're, they're about levity and, like, they're funny and they're light and, like – but I feel like Deadpool was that too and R-rated. I, I think they could do an R-rated Marvel – style movie it would just have to be with the right character and it would have to be Howard far removed duck. from the the a-list you know like <laughs> dude yeah I, like, like an already howard the duck movie would work like that would really work i wouldn't go see it oh, i would are it you could kidding work. me i if if they announced an r-rated marvel movie i wouldn't be opposed to it necessarily but it wouldn't surprise me if the movie felt off even if it was good, it wouldn't surprise me if it just didn't feel like it belonged with the rest of the films that they have. Like, for me, 
I, I don't necessarily know that a Deadpool film or not a Deadpool film, but Deadpool inserted into the rest of the Fox uh, universe where they're, you, mean, you know, PG films. You mean the Marvel universe? No, the Fox Oh, okay, universe. okay. I don't know that, like, Deadpool in a regular X-Men movie works the way that Deadpool alone works. I feel like he should be an R-rated character and that they should keep him that way. And so if you took, say, like, let's say you took, like, Captain America and you put him in an R-rated movie, right? Then that would be weird when you go and have him in the Avengers and all the things that were in the R-rated movie can't be there anymore, well, right? So it's just a different tone. Yeah, you know, and I, I totally get what you're saying. Because, like, we talked about this in the Logan discussion where it's, like, there are things that come with an R-rated movie that don't have to do with, like, cursing or any of that kind of stuff. But I don't, I don't think that that has to be, like, a, a zero-sum game, you know? Because, like, I think, like, for the issue of Deadpool, what I would do creatively if I wanted to have... R-rated solo Deadpool movies and then Deadpool in a PG-13 movie would be, okay, Deadpool's in the PG-13 movie and Deadpool, we all know, at least in the film, like in the comics and in the film, has the ability to see the fourth wall, right? So like, you have him acknowledge that this is a PG-13 movie and he can't curse. Yeah. You know? like or he just gets bleeped. You, you, you play with it in ways and something with Cap, you know, like if you tell a story that is really brutal and R-rated, you don't have to make Cap brutal and R-rated. And just because he's put in a situation where those things happen doesn't mean he always acts that way, you know? Like, just because it's an R-rated movie doesn't mean you have to make him say fuck, you know? But, like, you could put him in a situation where it's an R-rated, like, level of, of drama. And I don't think you should do that with Cap, per se, but yeah, I don't think it's yeah. impossible or that it would be totally inconsistent. Because I think Punisher, like, really works in the Marvel Universe. And, and like, that is an R-rated character you know and like he doesn't work in that pg-13 way i don't i don't think punisher would work in any way on the in the films if they well if I, they i'm saying in, the, in this universe because like in this in the netflix universe yes. but it's the same universe it's the same universe but there's there's obviously a very different tone between yeah the yeah no, you're totally right you're totally right but that is i guess the point i'm making is because those two tones are so radically different but they coexist in the same universe. I don't think that that means they couldn't do that in the movies. They would just have to make the movies feel separate that from the not R-rated movies. You know, like tell a story about a character that isn't in New York teaming up with the Avengers all the time. Oh, all right. Well, if you're saying if you're saying like a solo that it's Punisher a separate... movie with John Bernthal could work, is what I guess. I'm if saying. you're as long okay, but if you're saying that that Punisher is not going to interact with the Avengers, then I agree with you. If it's just him doing his own thing and they never intersect, sure. But if it's the Punisher in his own movie and then in the next Avengers movie the Punisher joins the Avengers, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Guys, there's a simp there's a simple answer to all this, and it's a Black Widow movie. Yep, uh, R-rated Black Widow movie would be tight. I think yeah, I think I think you're right in that. An R-rated Black Widow movie. That's the only uh, R-rated character, or the only R-rated film off the top of my head, anyway, that I can think of that would make total. Sense. Also, that would kind of like open the door to make something like an R-rated Punisher make sense, and then have him being with the Avengers wouldn't be totally crazy. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how DC was going to start advertising their stuff in movie theaters. And how there were DC uh, trailers, or not DC trailers, but DC commercials 
during like AMC shows. Um, Marvel is jumping on that bandwagon. They released a press release recently, which essentially just says that um, Secret Empire, the the upcoming event from Marvel Comics, will will have a trailer attached to Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Two, which is you know that's really really cool. Um, and they're also going to be that means somebody's listening to our show. <laughs> They're they're also going to be advertising some of their stuff, uh, like Secret Empire and X Men X Men titles during the ABC shows, so that's a huge platform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and that's just you know, like, Dean Marco have been barking up this tree forever. You know, it's like that's that's how you market. You know, you look at take people that are already invested in these characters and be like, hey, you want more? Well, one thing that's interesting is I downloaded the DC Legends mobile app game, and one of their advertisements is DC Rebirth. I mean, that's um, I mentioned in the the Telltale Batman series, they did that too. At the end of every single episode, after they do the next time on Telltale Batman, it's it's literally just like, "Hey, you want more Batman? Go pick up a Batman comic," and then yeah. like a link to the DC digital store. And people play the shit out of mobile games, so that's a broad audience. And I think this kind of like rapid scattershot approach is genius you know because it's like you're not going to get all these people but you might get five percent of each of them you know (laughs) it's kind of the planet planet fitness model where it's like uh you cast a wide net and you hope that they stay and come like they they kind of like um you know it's like maybe a bunch of people come in you get the five percent kind of thing like you said. Yeah, and it's like, right, even a lot of them maybe don't stick around, but maybe you get a flux of new readers and then a certain number of them stick around. And it's like, hey, yeah. whatever conversion works, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good move. You know, I'm, I'm, I hope it works out, you know? Let's, like, I'm, I'm, I've been really emboldened to see a lot more targeted marketing for comics. Mm-hmm. And I think now is definitely the time with all this exposure everybody has. Like, you, I don't know why they didn't start doing it, like, years ago. The last bit of news that I wanted to talk about is actually a really huge deal. Uh, DC Comics is planning a digital subscription service with Amazon Prime. Yep, this shit is huge. So, for a while, it's kind of been clear that, you know, a Netflix-style, you know, subscription deal or something along those lines makes a ton of sense for comics. And uh, there have been a lot of you know, small time things going on. Comicsology is a big deal. Marvel Unlimited is um, pretty successful. Yeah, and now DC is stepping into the fray, and they're partnering with Amazon, who are massive right now. And I think that this is, you know, every, DC. And as far as their comics are concerned, they've really been trying to push them. They were the first people to start advertising on shows and films, like we said. And this is a way to really put some eyes on their books. So I'm really excited. I'm just saying, for this. somebody at DC definitely listens to this show. This is like the third thing this episode where we're like, hey, this is the thing we've been talking about for like six weeks and they're doing it. Uh-huh. Like, Yo, hire us. I'm just saying, hire us. At least me and Marco. At least. <laughs> Whoa. There's a lot of pals here. And Sean, because he's the one who keeps us in line. <laughs> keeps you honest. Um, so, I mean, again, Amazon and DC together is a huge deal. And if the price point is right, and what they actually offer is, you know, basically everything, I think this is something that a lot of people would get into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like, why wouldn't you? I, you know? 
Right. Yeah. Like, I personally wouldn't because I, you know, I'm a dinosaur in the sense that I only want to read books if I can read them, in my, if I can hold them in my hands. But I know that a lot of the market is, is shifting. Yo. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Hey, like, like, there's a lot of people. I really, like, the, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, I'm really upset I bought a physical copy of Vision. Like, reading Vision, like, with, like, holding the book, I'm just like, fuck, this would be so much better if it was digital. Why? Because, like, I have to fucking sit near a light, and, like, I have naturally sweaty hands, so, like, my fucking <laughs> fingers stick to the pages, and, like, I just, uh. I mean, haven't we seen a decrease in the actual amount of, like, books being uh, downloaded? I think I think recently, weren't there more books being bought than there were um like downloaded and that makes sense because I, I don't i don't think digital comics are affordable you know like that's the problem like they're they're convenient but if you are buying them all through comiXology and they cost exactly the same as a physical copy and you have the space yeah. why wouldn't you just get a physical copy yeah yeah because like you also have the fun of going to the comic book store and you know like having that experience the convenience versus, isn't enough basically no, because it's not. It's not. It's not convenient enough. It's like, yeah, I can do it day one. I don't. Have, you know, it's like for someone with expendable income and no space. Like, if you live in a city and you have money and you don't, have, and you have an apartment with no space for a long box and shit, then it totally makes sense to buy digital comics. But that's a very, very specific person, you know, who that serves. And anybody else, like, like for me, if if like digital comics cost like half as much, I feel like a lot more people would buy them especially for books that you don't care about collecting you know like like if i want to read dan slots run on amazing spider-man or whatever but i, I don't collect amazing spider-man you know that's okay yeah I'll, I'll pay half the price and get to read the book i want to read but for a book like i really love like you know in sean's case like maybe something like tom king's batman where like you have the whole run and you, you know you want to keep buying it and you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that would make a little more sense for it to fit into people's lives. They have to hit that level of Netflix where, like, I remember when Netflix first came out and, like, they originally debuted the streaming and everything. I was kind of like, you know, why would anyone pay for this? Like, you can just watch TV, you know, mm, or, like, you yeah. can pirate anything that's on here for free because it was when torrents were really popular. And it's like, I don't really get it. And then it was as soon as I had it and it was like, oh... For $8 a month, I don't have to fucking do anything, and it's all here, and it's constantly new. It, that You need to hit that level of convenience and affordability where you hit that moment of like, okay, even if I don't use this to its fullest potential, if I use it even a little bit, it pays for itself. And once you hit that point, everyone adopts it. So with with Netflix, right, like you, you most people binge watch, so... If you're if you have to choose between buying the entire, for example, let's say like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Like, let let's say you wanted to buy the whole series, that would cost you like sixty dollars or something like that, maybe even more. When I bought it, it was more than that. Yeah, I mean, DVDs if, if is you, expensive as fuck. Like, yeah, seasons. If you wanted to watch it on Netflix. All it would cost you is, you know, whatever your subscription is, nine bucks, 12 bucks, whatever it is. Eight eight (laughs) dollars. Yeah, that is there's no comparison there. Right. And I think that with comics, you know, especially in the well, in the digital format, it has to work the same way. If 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 so, this article lists the price points at at a range between six dollars and thirteen dollars. That's what they're thinking about. Yeah, that's perfect. 
I think I think even at thirteen, that's a good price. If it's thirteen dollars a month, right? Let's figure. Let's say DC's books, the the ones they release twice monthly are three dollars. So that's what that you're you're getting four books. If you bought four books, it would cost you twelve dollars without tax. At, at, at th- Without tax or anything like that, at at, at the two ninety nine price point, but they've got a lot of books that are four dollars, so it, it it ends up making a ton more sense for the consumer to do something like this than to you know buy it through Comixology or to go to the store and buy it. And what Pete's saying is right; they need to make it so attractive that you can't not do like this. six dollars is per like six dollars would be amazing because then it's like, do you read two DC comics a month? It pays for itself, and then you can read everything else. You kidding me? And like that's genius. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. There are there are casual fans or people who've never picked up a DC book in their life who will see this and say, "Hey, for six bucks, I mean, I have six dollars. Let me try." I this. would do that. You know, I would. And there like, and there are so many. Like we've talked about this. I would love to check out the Flintstones. I would love to check out all the, all the Hanna Barbera shit they're doing. I'd love to check out the Young Animal stuff. You know, so it's like I would totally do that for a six dollar price point. Yeah. I would totally and yeah, absolutely. And then the the real kicker is do you hit that real tipping point where I like those books so much that I get other people to go read them or that I go and pay for them anyway because I like them. You know, and like I go and buy the trades or I or I buy merch or whatever, you know, and, and spend more money. And that's that's when you really have a service that is like creating a community you know, like that you can leverage in, in different ways, you know, or not a community, but like a, cause obviously there's a community of DC fans, but like a user base, I should say that you can leverage in ways that is going to make you a lot more money for taking a little bit of a hit early, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to see how they, how they pull this thing off. And, and if it does work, you know, yeah, it, it, it really could be a big, yeah, deal. I was going to say, did you guys know? Uh, Jess's brother just got Marvel Unlimited, uh, so I was kind of looking through it, uh, and you cannot, you can't get current stuff. No, it's only they, it's six months behind. It's six months behind. So like, just yeah, you might as well just go buy the trade. Yep. Yeah. So that like, is, I, I'm if DC can I'm six months that. behind on everything else. Like, I wouldn't say that that's unlimited. That's yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. Pretty very limited. limited that's Marvel. pretty limited. I mean, yeah. th- I think that's considering the the very short term for most like sellers. Like, you you don't want if let's say somebody like it, that that'll affect the the store businesses, like the actual brick and mortar stuff. You know, so that's most likely why they're doing that because you can wait the the six months for a trade, or you can wait the six months to get like the first single issue that drops. You know. Uh, it, it it's more so at least from what the way I see it is it's more so to protect those store owners and protect those vendors who are uh trying to sell the comics. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, and, and it's also probably point. not to yeah. burn um their like their business relationships with Diamond, you know, the distributors, because yeah. that's like if you look at um a pretty close analog would be the digital uh, sale of video games is like the reason that. You don't see uh, cheaper prices on um, like the PlayStation Network or Xbox Live or whatever is because they need they can't undercut the brick and mortars because they're the ones who sell the the console, you know, and they need you to sell that console so that people can buy the shit digitally, you know. So it's like they until comics companies are willing to hurt Diamond and willing to 
like be be willing to blow up the traditional way we distribute comics yeah like they're they're probably going to make those concessions okay so we're going to jump into our main topic uh which is about alternate timelines uh so logan takes place in what very well may be an alternate version of the fox x-men history and that kind of inspired this um quite frankly alternate timelines are a big deal in comics uh from what if alternate reality stories to you know like the grim potential futures that we've seen and things like um the dark knight returns or um you know, like Days of Future Past, those kind of things. Age of Apocalypse. Old Man Logan. Some of those, yeah, Old Man Logan. Some of those stories have had huge impact on the mainline canon of Marvel and DC. And so we're just going to, you know, highlight some of those important stories, talk about uh, why they work so well, and break down some of our favorites. So I guess I'll start and highlight probably... Whew, maybe the most important alternate timeline story ever, uh, which would be The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Mm, mm, um, mm. It's, it's like it's like the <laughs> most... <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most famous Elseworld story there is. Well, um, I, have a, I have a question. What... Um, what are we using as like the basis for what is an alternate timeline? Because technically, six one six is an alternate timeline of everything else. No, that's the main continuity. Yeah, that's the main continuity. Continuity. Because it's so anything. It's else relative is to the reader. So, so the way the way so the way we're working this is if it takes place in the mainline Marvel uh, continuity, meaning six one six, that is what the, the the main story is. Anything that happens outside of that is alternate. So ultimate. Stories are alternate, alternate. Old Man Logan is an alternate reality. Age of Apocalypse is an alternate reality. Uh, for DC, anything outside of like the the main line, Earth Two prime, is Earth, an alternate reality, right? Exactly. Uh, the Earth One stories that they recently released, like Batman Earth One, Superman Earth One, those are alternate realities. Boy, Marco, Marco, that question really fucked me up. I can't stop thinking about it. You're right. You get a right. continuity is an like technically an alternate timeline. Yeah, in the in the context of the actual comics, <laughs> every like up, man. like to to old man Logan, the six sixteen is totally yeah. an alternate timeline. Absolutely, like in the context of comics, every universe is an alternate continuity to a different Earth. But from the reader's perspective, six sixteen Earth one are the primary universes. Well, what about like, from the reader's perspective in the Ultimate Universe? Like that's that, that's what I was God, arguing. I was, I but was the just... uh, the ultimate publication was <laughs> written as an alternate universe to the six sixteen universe. So by its very nature, even if that just, is hey, your hey Marco, hey, no, it's, it's okay. a spin off. Just... Anything that spins off of what takes place in the main stories is considered alternate. So you get into just, philosophical just questions, Marco. Yeah, just <laughs> hey, yeah, hey Marco, I see what you're doing. Knock it off. <laughs> the the kind of real reader, shut up. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah, Dark Knight Returns is like the most famous example of the uh, of a alternate timeline it's like that and then like maybe Kingdom Come after that those are the two I'm thinking oh boy yeah wow I actually forgot but, about that Uh, what's cool about the Dark Knight Returns from an abstract perspective is that uh, it I mean Elseworlds, Elseworlds have been going on since the 50s obviously 
but I think it legitimized the idea for a writer to be like, well, I have this idea for a character that doesn't fit in the main continuity, so I'm going to write a story that's outside of the continuity about this character. Um, yeah, like, I, I agree with you in terms of, like, making it serious. You know, where, like, oh, like, this can actually have weight. Because, like, before that, Elseworlds and What Ifs were always kind of just, like, fun and throwaway and silly. What if we took Spider-Man and put him in the Renaissance? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, like, legitimately... What if Aunt May became the Silver Surfer? Like, like shit, or, like that's or a, or fun. A Herald of Galactus, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not. You know, it's not on that same level. Well, the Dark Knight Returns was also um, not only did it legitimize those kind of what if or Elseworld stories, but it also had huge. I would say huge impact on Batman himself. Yeah, like people because, how people wrote Batman. Yeah. It, it 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 provided a very sort of dark, bleak look at the character that I think people still use to this very day when they're setting up to write the character, and it certainly informed uh, things like, uh, for example, uh, what like Batman eighty nine, right? You know, um, so I think that I think that that one stands out for me as being super important for especially for DC and and that character. Um, but then, you know, you, you spin out of that and you look at things like, uh, shoot, Age of Apocalypse, right? Uh, and, and that kind of being hugely important for the X-Men because we got Apocalypse. Uh, we got the alternate version of Nightcrawler. We got Dark Beast. Well, th- and all uh, – sorry, uh, go ahead. Apocalypse came before Age of Apocalypse. Right, but like – so like – Apocalypse came before that, but that was his that was his world, and we got to look at his world, and there were so many characters who came from that that actually transitioned and came into the regular mainline uh Marvel continuity at some point or another. Like jerk Nightcrawler. Right. Yeah, yeah, I got or, you. or Dark Beast. Actually one of my favorite characters ever is Dark Beast. Um so so that, you know, played in huge for the X-Men. And you know, when you're talking about the X-Men or DC as a whole, they've been very willing to have tons of interaction between their mainline continuity and the alternate the alternate. I mean, versions. especially DC. Like DC definitely writes it just it's handled in a way different way. You know? Like it, it definitely feels like it's like, yeah, like this is like this is the main earth or the true earth, but they all like still technically exist in like, you know what I mean? Like where it's like the I feel like until they did um Secret Wars, the Marvel stuff was a lot more segmented. Yeah, it's very fluid for DC. Yeah, it's like very much like a well, it's all, you know, the multiverse is kind of the universe, you know, and they all exist and interact in like in a way that feels more organic. Like they all it all feels like kind of like one place. Obviously, when you have Elseworld stories, and with Pete saying this, cultivate this culminates in uh, the the crises. But for me, I think like the biggest, I think the best, I think the best book about like alternate timelines is probably Multiversity because it's an attempt to like tell nine different stories about nine different Earths that all are kind of tangentially related. That's the man. That, man, that Captain Marvel story is. Oh yeah, it's so, oh, good. so good. And uh, our Pax Americana, that's a really good one. Ooh, yeah. So just just um, provide provide a little context. What is multiversity? All right, so multiversity. Grant Morrison is uh has loved 
tiptoeing into all the different earths. He uh, he's always been a celebrator of doing as many stories as possible with these because in his mind he's like people always say that it's too complicated to do different earths, but it's not. I don't think it's that di- difficult to comprehend at all. You just say this is a different earth, and that's all there is to it. Uh, so multiversity is basically him trying to explore different earths in the context of the 52 worlds in dc that haven't been really explored and they're all related to each other in that the the previous issue of the nine issue series uh takes place in that concurrent issue as a comic book so in the world where superman is a nazi in that next issue where it's all the captain marvel characters that previous story takes place in that second issue as a comic book and so they're all related, but they're still independent stories. So by the ninth one, the first story is a comic within a comic within a comic within a comic kind of thing? Sure is. That's fucking crazy. Grant Morrison, wow. <laughs> it was and it, it sort of it was sort of a, a testing ground for like the convergence stuff, wasn't it? Which was sort of a testing ground for the rebirth stuff. Uh I mean I don't know how deliberate Morrison had this idea for a while dc might have like been like you know what that's we could probably do something like this but i mean he wasn't involved in convergence or rebirth at all i still need to check that out it's uh, great but it, it sounds great yeah um and it also sounds it also sounds like the antithesis of alternate uh timeline stories which are typically very very accessible and i think one of the core tenets of these kind of storylines is that anyone can pick it up and kind of understand the world that they're walking into uh i would say that's true for most of them if you look at like old man logan you don't have to have really any kind of context for what's happening other than what takes place in the book um, yeah it's like it's helpful and, if you know who the characters are yeah, yeah. but like that's really uh, it. yeah i think multiversity I mean, is more of a celebration for comic book readers to be like this is comic book uh, this is pulp at its finest and I think I think that's cool, and I love the fact that DC doesn't shy away from all the sort of convoluted history of, of their multiverse. But I think one of the bigger selling points for these kind of storylines is just how accessible they are. And I think one of the probably the greatest example of that that I can think of is the Ultimate Universe. Uh, I, I, most people that I personally know who are around our age group got either got into comics or got back into comics through the ultimate line. Uh, and there's a great reason for that because it gives you the characters that you know and love. Most of us grew up knowing about the X-Men and Spider-Man and whoever through the television shows from the nineties, but maybe didn't read comics or maybe, you know, read them like casually, but this was an opportunity to go in continuity free with the bare bones character that you know and love and get to experience them in stories that are similar to the ones that have been told previously, but without the baggage that comes with those. And that's what made them so much fun. But yeah, man, I mean, Sean, that was 100% my experience. Um, and I think the, 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 big, the big thing for me was also like more so than being able to come in without continuity and everything. It was like I get to read like the, the back, to, like back to basics, like meat and potatoes comics that I wanted to read about these characters that don't exist in 616 anymore. You know, you can't like there, you know, up until they made Spidey, you know, it's like there wasn't any way for me to read stories about like a Peter Parker that was my age with my problems at that point, you know, 
and like same thing with the x-men you know and like other than other than going back to read really dated stuff but it was also shit i'd already read you know so it's like like th- like that was ultimate was my comic you know like that was my generation of, of spider-man books you know and like i like that i don't know that that is i think what to your point sean like that accessibility or like even like more less than accessibility just like ability to get the core of these characters that you don't see anymore because like i talked about earlier it's like what was the beauty of like logan or x-men evolution or something like that where it's like you strip away all the like the extra you know and like at its core what is spider-man about what is what are the x-men about teen drama and that's what i wanted and that's what i got in those books see do you guys think that we need another Ultimates-esque line right yep. now for young readers? I think we do. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I think I think the answer is no, I think, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is that, unfortunately, and you know, this could be for a variety of different reasons, but the Ultimate line really, really stopped being something that people cared about, and Marvel kept trying to... Um, change it and iterate on it to make it appealing and it just it never worked it never had the spark again that it had in like the early two to mid 2000s where everybody was reading those those books um i think i I don't know that that would necessarily work today the way that it did back then because of the fact that it brought in so many lapsed readers and i don't know how many how many people it would grab if they were to do that again well i'm talking about Um, kids well, my thing chasing the kids market, like I don't know. My thing is like I think what happened with Ultimate is cause like Sean, you're right, but it was because Ultimate, like to Phil's point, it got bloated, and then it it stopped being that easy accessible thing that you could follow because it was convoluted and crazy, just like regular comics. So like I think if in maybe maybe we don't need a new like universe, but like having a line i've said this for a while having a line of comics that focused on back to basic stories like telling stories set in the old school days of of comics but in a modern way would i think maybe be a good idea i was just gonna say but what about like the marvel uh i think it's called marvel adventures line it was it was a little more uh kid friendly but it was uh it was it was definitely that that exact thing yeah but that's the thing if it's kid friendly that's no good you know because like what was cool about ultimate was that it was cool to read that when i was 14 and like it was still good when it ended when i was 19 you know well but i mean at that point move on to big boy comics like yeah but i mean like I, I I think that gets in the way of what we were talking about about what was the value of ulti- of the ultimate line in its heyday. You know, was that like I I already was a already reading big boy big boy comics mainline comics, but they weren't telling the kind of stories I wanted. You know, like Peter was an adult and teaching college, and that's not you know that wasn't relevant to me when I was fourteen. You know, in the same way that Peter being fifteen and in high school and you know. Like being worried about going to co- or going to high school and losing his virginity, but those are the kinds of stories I wanted then, you know. And I think I think there are probably still teens that want those kinds of books. And I know, like, I don't necessarily need those stories again, but I would I would like to see books about like a young Peter Parker as opposed to a thirty year old Peter Parker. 
Yeah, I think to Phil's point about like having a new line would be really just great to capture some of the floating audience that we now have with the the movies and going back to like a basics where there, there is no history where there is none of that baggage where you don't you can start like fresh and as uh someone like 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 I would have appreciated that when I first started getting into them because of the movies like that's something that I would have really needed because I didn't I didn't have the the background for it so I think now would be a good time to sort of have that line to introduce non-comic book readers to comic books yeah i uh, I, do, I really do agree i feel like we we've we've had that conversation a number of times and it kind of always comes back to like all right you're chasing this you know potential audience that never really ends up amounting to anything like they've 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 tried to get that you know that film audience to jump over and read books and it just doesn't seem to be effective it's like trying to uh, get old wrestling fans by booking goldberg in the main event well i'm i'm saying in the context of just like like not not just grabbing that audience but like w- what's the harm in it for comic book readers who already read like for comic book readers like what's what's the harm in, in that for them yeah because like again like I, I i don't think it's impossible to have something like ultimate that is supplementary and speaks to people that like mainline comics because it wasn't all new readers that read Ultimate. Like, yeah, it was a lot of lapsed readers and stuff like that, but and a lot of new readers like us. But I, you know, I think there was also old old readers that like that stuff too. And I think if they could make a new line of compelling books that had the same ethos, I don't think that's impossible at all. Actually, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think it's impossible. I just wouldn't want it to be. I wouldn't want it to be obviously pandering to that audience of of you know readers. I don't think it has to. Who, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm specifically referring to what Marco said. Like if it's if it's continuity light and it's written by and drawn by the greatest um, uh, creators that Marvel has, and it's accessible, but it's also like really really good. Then obviously I would read it because at the end of the day I read comics to read great stories. So if it was good, then it and it's good, then it's good. You know, same thing with the Ultimates. Would it would it work? Is a different question. Okay, what? With DC, uh, when they did the DCU reboot thing, whatever the hell that was, they one of their big points of that was that every every story will be its own continuity and that way you can select your own you know continuity for each character and it all matters uh we especially saw that i think in uh black canary and i think to a certain degree uh martian manhunter and batgirl uh but they that died a very quiet you know death Dan Didio s- smothered it with a pillowcase, <laughs> and then and then Rebirth came out of it. So, like, I mean, to me, like, that's the way to do that. Make you know, do a Hawkeye, do a Vision, make those stories, you know, small, uh, and and I don't need not not even necessarily small, but you know, fuck continuity. Oh, so I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, is your house on fire? Do you need to stop recording the show? 
Uh, the show must go on. Okay. <laughs> he goes down with the Titanic. Sorry, sorry guys, I had to teach uh, Jess that the smoke alarm's not a timer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like the the Batman super heavy stuff, the Superman, um, you know, he loses his powers, blah, blah, blah. You know, that was all supposed to be, a, those were supposed to be things you could pick up by themselves, and they would only count a little toward continuity. Um. I don't, you know. See, but yeah, that's all. See, that that's a that to me, that's a case of DC trying to have their cake and eat it too, which is commendable. But when you're talking about Batman Super Heavy being an an example of that, it's a terrible example. Not 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 to not criticizing you, but criticizing DC's attempt at using that and making Batman continuity light because. That story was already something that was going on for like 40 issues at that time. And Jim Gordon becoming Batman and Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne losing his memory was something that was relevant if you had already been reading what had come before. So to me, you can't really do things like that. It's either going to be that it doesn't relate to anything or it relates very minorly and it's got to be a new thing. Like, Vision makes perfect sense. Even though it's spun off of something that had happened in the Avengers, it was its own thing. And if you were reading the Avengers prior to Vision, you would say, okay, cool. They're spinning off this story. I'll follow it. And and I'll read it. But if you weren't reading the Avengers and you're, like, a fan of Vision or you're just a fan of Tom King or you're just a fan of, like, small stories like that, then you would pick that book up. So I feel like Vision is an example of how to do that right. Whereas Batman Super Heavy is an example of how not to do that. Pete, I think you had a you had a point. Yeah, I uh, I just I I think I'm sensing we're about to move back to DC. So before that happens, and I have nothing to say, um, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to give a particular call out to um, another Marvel thing that we mentioned earlier, which was a predecessor to the Ultimates, which was MVC two, which uh, I also really enjoyed, which was um, a <laughs> this is where it gets really fun. Oh, and also 2099, I wanted to call out too. Heck yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys will have things to say about that, I'm sure. But um, so both of those are alternate, or not alternate, they are potential futures of the 616 universe that were then decided to be alternate timelines. So there's still potential futures where like there's a divergent point between 616 and that universe. So it gets a little complicated, but... MVC2 was a lot of fun. It was kind of a precursor to the Ultimate uh, line. And it was, I, I mentioned it earlier and I described what it was. So if you've been listening to the show, I'm not going to re-explain uh, it. But um, what I liked about it was it was cool to see what felt like, hey, this is what the Marvel Universe would be like if it was allowed to age. You know, like seeing characters like uh, Peter and like the original Avengers get old and retire and have new heroes come up in their place was cool, you know, and like seeing, you know, characters like, um, you know, like Jubilee, like going from being a teenager at that point, you know, or earlier than that, not, not too much longer than that being known as like the youngest teen member of the X-Men to being portrayed as being like a 40 year old woman, you know, or like a 30 year old woman and like a leader of the X-Men and, you know, just like a lot of natural progressions for characters that were, you know, beloved, but also introductions of some new fresh ones. Like Juggernaut had a son who was like a hero named J2, and he was one of the Avengers, the the new Avengers. I think they were called A-Next. Um, yeah, that sounds right. And it, it was just cool. It was a cool line, you know, and like, I know like Spider-Girl ended up having legs for a long time, but um, I was sad to see it go, you know, like uh, 
It was cool. Yeah. I actually was really confused by that when I started reading comics. I just didn't I didn't understand what it was. Um, but I really liked American Dream from that that time. Yeah, time. right. Like she was really She was cool. like that the Captain America of that um, you know, the MVC2 line. And I think it was that, like Steve I think Steve was had died and then she took up the mantle afterwards. Something something I honestly don't remember. It's been so long. Um but yeah, that was a, a relatively short-lived thing that I thought, you know, I, like looking back, I think it's cool. At the time, I didn't get it, but you know, like, not, like now I think it's something that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's like I, I got into that like right around the time I was getting into comics, so it was another thing that I was just like, oh, this is easy to pick up because like I know who these characters are, but I don't need to have the pretense of like what's been going on lately, you know? Yeah. Um, and May was just cool. You- May was a cool character. She's yeah, and she's had a lot of uh, legs in terms of she's come she's come back and they've done stuff with her at different points. So, Dude, like I was yeah, so um, excited in the post Secret Wars and there was that like cover with um, Peter, Mary Jane, and they were like holding like like May like between their you know like the way like parents carry their kids or whatever like when they're walking along. I was just like, oh my god, yes, please, like please let this happen. That's the renew your vows yeah. storyline, yep. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then you mentioned 2099 before we shift away right. Uh, right. back to DC, which, I mean, Spider-Man 2099, like that costume is probably my favorite Spider-Man costume. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I really enjoyed yeah, the redesign. such a cool fucking line, man. Do you? I don't. I, I Maybe I'm in the minority, but I really like the redesign. The new one? I'm not crazy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was I okay. Care for it. I thought it was dope. It's 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 cool. It's cool. I don't know. I'm attached to the original, but yeah. yeah. I honestly have never read. I think I picked up the first issue of the relaunch of Spider-Man 2099, like the more recent one. Um, well, not the most recent one, the like the one before that. But anyway, other than that, I have no experience with those characters in comics, so I can't really say too much. Other than the fact that I just like the idea of it, and I like what I've seen of it. You know, like images and stuff like that they look cool it's different it feels fresh it's just a cool world it's like very like blade runnery you know it's like all these like evil corporations have taken over yeah like most of the superheroes are like owned by the government and stuff and like the superheroes have been like outlawed for a long time and it's just cool you know it's like it wasn't like it wasn't like amazing or anything but it was definitely a really it was a fun 90s comic you know? Sean, you, you should check out Exiles. I think you might dig that. Oh, dude, I love the Exiles. All right, well, there you go. Spider-Man 29's yeah. in that eventually. Yeah, I, I stopped reading before he joined, but I love what I read. Yeah. That was a great that was a great uh, run. Uh, so, Phil, you wanted to take us over to DC. Yeah, dude. Of course. <laughs> Playground. Uh, well, obviously, Kingdom Come is... One of the big ones. What I was going to say earlier, tangentially, to uh, Marvel launching the uh, Ultimate line, uh, DC tried to respond with All-Star, which was originally intended to be their version of Ultimate Comics. But when I realized that ultimately when you have someone like Frank Miller and Grant Morrison working on it, you can't really create a universe based off that because the Frank Miller All-Star Batman is so different in that universe is so different than Morrison's all-star Superman that their idea was, well, let's, let's make, uh, these classic iconic characters and put them in a playground where they're like the most quintessential version of themselves. 
maybe that didn't turn out as well for all-star batman and robin but obviously with all-star superman you get an incredible book um so that that was my thought i was going with (laughs) nice segue (laughs) that was very 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 short-lived and you know kind of a mixed bag i don't feel that they're doing all-star batman now Mm, yeah and that's not good um (laughs) but it's a lot less less good than uh the frank miller batman and robin that's fair yeah that that's fair i wanted to i wanted to cap off this conversation with something that uh kale had brought up earlier and kale since it was your idea i'll let you uh introduce it regarding the new 52 sure yeah so um around the time of the new 52 this was you know 2011 2012 there was a lot of controversy and speculation about what the new 52 was actually going to be. Uh, DC hadn't quite made their official statement about whether it was going to be an alternate universe. If it was just going to like, all they were really saying is it was an abbreviated timeline. Um, so I, you know, so I sort of posed the question, what's, what what what's the our like our final verdict uh i think i think for me it's pretty obvious that you know it's an alternate timeline an alternate universe another earth um because that's you know we've had we've had several people now just you know come over so it's more complicated than that i think the ain't it always yeah the original intent was for it to be a completely new universe. I mean, and, and it is like that. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Flashpoint basically created a new Earth One, and that's that's what the New Fifty Two was. There was an Earth Two. I mean, that was also a, a book from the New Fifty Two, uh, written by James Robinson. Um, but for the most part, it was it was its own thing. And this is also why Morrison was able to do multiversity because, like, for all, for all intents and purposes, this big playground still exists. Uh, convergence just made it more muddled. Yeah, but see, the thing with th- there's two key points I want to make with the new Fifty Two, and, and it's, it's 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 a lot easier to do this in retrospect than it was while it was ongoing or before it launched. So, first of all, the launch of the new Fifty Two was dumb because <laughs> even though <laughs> preach, even though it launched with a number of titles that were solid, it screwed over a lot of books from. Before the new Fifty Two launched, that they that they just didn't end the story, like with Batman. Yep. How Green can Lantern, you tell me? Yeah, yeah Green, Green Lantern as well. How can you tell me that this is a new continuity when you're carrying over stories from the last continuity? That doesn't make any sense, and it really kind of like weakened the idea of launching this new universe for me because it was like, well. Clearly, that's not what you're doing. You're just taking the characters who've gotten too weird and then bringing them back to one and leaving Batman and Green Lantern alone because at that time, they were the most successful properties that DC had. So it was such an obvious ploy on their part that it really actually turned me off. And then as it went on, it felt like they regretted the decision to do the New 52 altogether. It got so muddled that they needed to do DCU. And for me, I completely skipped DCU because it was like you can't you can't reboot your continuity while you're mid continuity, and you can't have continuity light while you're mid continuity. 
and it didn't make any sense. It, and I'm a I'm a veteran comic book reader, and it just meant nothing to me. It was it was you know silliness. Um, and now now that the new Fifty Two is over and we've got Rebirth, it's like okay, so it's not over though. Like we're still in the new Fifty Two era. This is that it's again been it, for and all intents and purposes, convergence and rebirth were basically like a zero hour situation. I I don't know. I don't think I, sort I of think, a sort of a a, a continuity uh, shift as opposed to a reboot. Yeah, they they just kind of took a broom and they kind of like we got to dust this off a little and fix it up. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is still technically the Earth Fifty Two world. Big example: Superman. They killed off. Uh, New 52 Superman brought in uh, post-crisis Superman. He's still playing in the New 52 world. He's just the post-crisis Superman. But, okay, yes. That, that is that is technically correct. But if you look at what they did with, like, for example, the first issue of Rebirth, they're, they're, the New 52 world is is obviously something that was created. Or I should manufactured. say manufactured. I, I should say that it appears the story that they're telling is that the New 52 world was manufactured by Dr. Manhattan. And that what came before that is the actual, like, history of these characters. And there's being screwed over by Dr. Manhattan and having to figure out what actually happened and what didn't. And a lot of that plays into um, what happens in DC Rebirth number one and what's been happening since in The Flash. So if you are interested in that story, you've got to be reading The Flash right now because it does deal with it on some level. But it's obvious to me at least, and I could be wrong eventually, but it's obvious to me at least that they're going to do away with the New 52 or explain it away with what they're doing with Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, I mean... When that story is told. Yeah, the story hasn't been told yet. We'll see what they're going to do, but, uh, I mean... As as of now, it's still the new 52. Yeah, 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 yeah. With, yeah, with a couple exceptions. And to answer your original question, Kale, I mean, the new 52, for all intents and purposes, is mainline DC. I don't think it really... It it counts as much as an alternate universe as the post-crisis DC did in 1986 relative to the pre-crisis DC from 1956 till 1986. I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's an argument that can be made that it is an alternate timeline, especially because of what we just talked, like what I was just uh, talking about. And I guess maybe you're right in the sense that we need to wait for the story to end before we can really answer that question. But they've said as much that this, that in the comics, right? Like this is something that was, placed here as opposed to being a natural um journey forward from what came before the new 52 yeah but the new 52 was a hard reboot just like the the original aftermath after effects of crisis on infinite earths everything that happened after crisis on infinite earths was a hard reboot they hard rebooted everything the same thing happened with the new 52 i don't know that you can say new 52 was a hard reboot when batman and green lantern didn't they didn't just didn't I know it. it's fucking crazy. I, yeah, it's, I think it was supposed to be a hard reboot. Uh but yeah, com- it wasn't, you know, company-wide obviously. Yeah, the only exceptions were Jeff Johns book and fucking Grant Morrison's book. So, with that being said, I think I think we we've reached a point where we should probably wrap up this conversation. Uh alternate timelines are hugely important to both Marvel and DC. I think that they provide people a fun look at some of their favorite characters in maybe a different scenario uh, than what we're used to or a different environment. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to see these characters 
in 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 situations that we might not see them and normally like what would logan do if he were faced with the the idea that there were no more mutants or no more heroes what does he look like in that world what's the last daredevil story ever look like what's the last spider-man story ever look like uh those are really interesting they provide great inroads for new fans or casual fans to check out these characters and also for people like the those of us on this podcast who are veteran readers it's something fresh and so i i love the fact that marvel and dc do this and i look forward to the continuation of these alternate timelines in the future so kudos to them for all the great stories they've already told and whatever's going to come next so with that, we're going to jump into plugs, but before we do so, I want to let you guys know how you can reach out to us. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at The Comics Pals. You can reach out reach out to us on iTunes at The Comics Pals, where you can leave us a five-star rating or whatever rating you want to, uh, but just don't leave us a low rating just because of Phil, except the fact that he's a part of the show and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, We've been trying to fire him since episode two, like... We're 18 episodes in. He's not going anywhere. I'm like a bad fungus. You try to get rid of me and I just grow. Yeah. Um, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud. Uh, and you can hit us up on YouTube where you can subscribe to our channel, which is greatly appreciated. We're on Google Play you now, too, like actually. We're on Google Play. That's absolutely correct. We should correct. start saying podcast services. <laughs> I, I just I got I to gotta shout out iTunes <laughs> deliberately. Oh, yeah, because you got um, to give a shout out to that five-star rating. Exactly. Uh, and again, you know, that share on YouTube and that subscribe, those are hugely important. If you're a fan of this show, you need to spread the word so that more people can become pals. Uh, so, yeah, check us out all over the place, guys. And we really appreciate it. Now let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Um, thanks again for joining us here on episode 20 of the Comics Pals. If you guys want some more uh, content from me, you can follow me on social media at loud underscore Pete. Uh, you can check out my writing over on comic book resources that's cbr.com um, where I write lists every week. I just put one up. Uh, should be up by the time of this um, by the time this is published about why X-Men Evolution is the best X-Men cartoon that's come out thus far. Fight me. Um, and if you want some other content from me, you can check out my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash, where I do video game content, a podcast every Monday, um, and let's play stuff like that. Uh, come hang out if you're a gamer. Awesome. Kale. Uh, I'm going to plug my comics company, Panels Publishing. We're a small comics collective uh, that's really focused on getting uh, novice creators into the uh, industry. Uh, so please check us out on Comixology. We're under uh, Panels Publishing. And then uh, on Facebook, we're Panels Comics. On Twitter, we're Panels Comics with an X. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Marco. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at WoWisMarco and Twitter at WoWisMarco. Underscore. Underscore at the end for Twitter only. Phil? All right. You can find me on Twitter. I'm finally on at Sean Soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at uh, Cyborg Bebop on all social media. Um, uh, come read my erotic Marco fan fan uh, fan fiction on DeviantArt at Swamp Thing Is Bay. Well, it's not fiction. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Cyborg Bebop. Hit me up. I'll be uh, contrarian. Awesome. And you can hit me up on Twitter at. Sean Soapbox, where we can argue and argue. All right. 
With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.